Okay, welcome to another installment of Pin Pods. My name is Dr. Will Tompkins. I'm currently a third-year resident interested in oncology, one of the current um, internal medicine residents here. Just hoping to take this opportunity to discuss the workup, staging, and treatment of a patient with a new thoracic malignancy. And for the purposes of this discussion, we will focus on non-small cell lung cancers, as small cell lung cancer deserve their own dedicated discussion. We can start with a clinical vignette. A 50-year-old female with a 25-pack year smoking history initially presents with cough and dyspnea and is found to have a left-sided lung mass on CT chest. Now, in terms of seminal presentation, patients with lung cancer most commonly present with symptoms including cough, hemoptysis, dyspnea, and post-obstructive pneumonia. Hemoptysis has the highest positive predictive value of somewhere between 2 and 7%, but is a feature of only a fifth of lung cancers. Notably, 10% of patients with new non-small cell lung cancer are asymptomatic at presentation, and these masses are found incidentally. Patients with regional spread can present with pleural effusion, SVC syndrome, etc. And in addition, there are several perineoplastic syndromes associated with lung cancer, including SIADH, hypercalcemia of malignancy, and hypertrophic pulmonary osteoarthropathy. Now back to the patient. How would we work up this lung mass? The goal of the initial workup is to establish the diagnosis of malignancy and then to determine accurately the clinical stage of the cancer. I will note here that it is important to consider the pretest probability of malignancy prior to proceeding with biopsy. Both patient factors such as age, smoking history, previous cancer history, occupational exposures, other lung disease like COPD or pulmonary fibrosis, exposure to infectious agents like TB and fungus, and a history suggestive of infection, and radiographic characteristics of the lung mass itself, including the size, shape, and density, can contribute to this pretest probability of malignancy and impact the urgency of biopsy. So for this patient, the significant pachyere smoking history and size of the lung mass prompts the need for a biopsy. We can talk about lung mass biopsy options now. The least invasive biopsy with the highest yield is preferred as the first diagnostic study. There are multiple ways to approach biopsy. Patients with central masses and suspected endobronchial involvement should undergo bronchoscopy. Patients with peripheral or outer one-third nodules may benefit from navigational bronchoscopy or transthoracic needle aspiration. Patients with suspected nodal disease should be biopsied by EBUS, EUS, navigational bronchoscopy, or mediastinoscopy. Of note, patients with a high suspicion of early resectable disease, either stage 1 or 2, may not require a biopsy before the surgical procedure. Pleural effusions should always be examined by thoracentesis, as a tumor associated with a malignant effusion is stage 4 and inoperable. One important point is that a negative initial cytology of pleural fluid does not entirely exclude malignant involvement if the clinical suspicion is high. Usually, a second diagnostic thoracentesis should be performed to assess for malignant fusion. Studies have shown that sensitivity plateaus after two diagnostic thoras in the assessment for malignant fusion, so typically this is enough prior to proceeding to curative intent therapy. Patients suspected of having metastatic disease should have confirmation from one of the metastatic sites if feasible. Once diagnosis of lung cancer is confirmed, there are several components of staging, including the following. Either a PET-CT performed from skull base to knees or a CT chest, abdomen, pelvis with IV contrast, although both of these studies are often obtained. 
I will note here that concomitant staging is often beneficial because it avoids additional biopsies or procedures. As previously stated, it's preferable to biopsy the pathology that would confer the highest stage. In other words, to biopsy a suspected metastasis or mediastinal lymph node rather than the pulmonary lesion. Therefore, PET-CT imaging is frequently best performed before a diagnostic biopsy site is chosen in cases of high clinical suspicion for aggressive advanced stage tumors. A brain MRI with contrast is also needed, even in patients without neurologic symptoms, as rates of CNS metastasis are so high. Molecular testing is recommended for patients with metastatic adenocarcinoma, large cell carcinoma, and non-small cell lung cancer not otherwise specified or NOS. Testing may be considered for patients with metastatic squamous cell carcinoma. Molecular testing can occur both on the tissue biopsied and also of the patient's blood, called liquid biopsy. Liquid biopsy includes testing on a variety of cancer biomarkers, such as circulating tumor DNA, microRNA, and circulating tumor cells. Minimally invasive, it can be collected from plasma, serum, urine, CSF, and other sources to determine actionable genomic alterations that may eventually guide therapy and help to assess response. Frequently, it's often just checked on the blood. The NCCN non-small cell lung cancer panel also recommends pdl one IHC or immunohistochemistry testing in all patients. If a patient is a candidate for surgical resection, PFTs should be obtained preoperatively. With regard to determining the specific stage of the patient's cancer, the exacts can be quite complicated, but in terms of general groups, in stage 1 disease, the primary cancer is less than 5 centimeters in diameter and there's no lymph node spread. In stage 2 disease, the primary cancer is less than 5 centimeters in diameter with local lymph node spread. In stage 3 disease, the primary cancer is greater than 5 centimeters in diameter with only local lymph node spread or smaller than 5 centimeters but there's more dense distant nodal disease. And in stage 4 disease, they're spread to both lungs or to another part of the body, i.e. metastatic. Just as important as the radiographic staging and tissue testing is a determination of the patient's functional status as this carries a lot of weight in if they are candidate for certain therapies. What is often used is the Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, or ECOG, performance status scale, which ranges from 0 to 5. 0 is fully active with no performance restrictions. 1, the patient's strenuous physical activity is restricted, but they are fully ambulatory and able to carry out light work. Two, the patient's capable of all self-care, but unable to carry out any work activities, and they are up and about greater than 50% of waking hours outside of bed. Three, the patient's capable of only limited self-care, confined to bed greater than 50% of waking hours. Four, the patient's com completely disabled and cannot carry out any self-care, totally confined to bed, and five is deceased. So to review, the range is zero to five on the ECOG scale, with decreasing functional status as the number increases. All right, back to the clinical vignette. So in addition to uptake in the lung mass itself, PET-CT showed a nonspecific uptake along the left eighth rib with no other notable areas of increased uptake in the chest or abdomen. Biopsy of the left rib revealed non-small cell lung cancer, adenose specifically, and this was confirmed on the lung biopsy as well. MRI brain did not show any intracranial disease, and molecular testing revealed an EGFR mutation. 
Okay, here I think it'd be good to transition to a couple of things about epidemiology and prevention of lung of non small of non small cell lung cancer before we get to the basics of treatment of stage four disease. So lung cancer is one of the leading causes of cancer related mortality in the United States. Prior studies have reported that lung cancer has resulted in more deaths than breast cancer, prostate cancer, breast uh, colorectal cancer, and leukemia combined in men greater than 40 years old and women greater than 60 years old. Tobacco smoke is the major risk factor for lung cancer with a clear dose-dependent relationship between tobacco use and lung cancer, particularly in squamous cell and small cell lung cancer histologies. This association really cannot be overstated as approximately 85 to 90% of cases are caused by voluntary or involuntary cigarette smoking per NCCN estimates. Long-term effects of e-cigs or electronic cigarettes are currently unknown, but mice exposed to electronic cigarettes were more prone to develop lung adenocarcinomas compared to mice exposed to control air. With the introduction of screening guidelines and a decrease in tobacco use, the mortality rate for lung cancer has been decreased by, you know, 48% in males and 23% in females, so it's gone way down. Other exposures associated with lung cancer include asbestos, radon, chromium, nickel, and arsenic compounds, although these are not as strong as the uh, association, association with cigarette smoking or tobacco use. Non-small cell lung cancer accounts for 87% of lung cancers in the United States, with small cell lung cancer accounting for the other 13%. Non-small cell lung cancer encompasses three pathologic subtypes, including squamous, adenocarcinoma, and large cell carcinoma. In recent history, multiple targetable activating mutations have been discovered, including EGFR, or epidermal growth factor receptor, ALK, anaplastic lymphoma kinase, ROS1, KRAS, BRAF, NTRK, MET, RET, and HER2. Activating EGFR mutations are more common in women, people of East Asian descent, never are light smokers, and adenocarcinoma histology. ALK mutations are more commonly found in never are light smokers, adenocarcinoma, and in young patients. Certain prognostic factors are predictive of survival in patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Good prognostic factors include early stage disease, as with many malignancies, good performance status, again, you know, as with many malignancies, no significant weight loss, and female gender. With regard to screening, the National Lung Screening Trial, or NLST, was a randomized NCI-sponsored trial comparing the effect of low-dose CT and standard chest X-ray on lung cancer mortality in former and current smokers. Patients who were screened with a low-dose CT scan had a 20% relative reduction in lung cancer-related mortality. Low-dose CT chest was then recommended for screening in patients aged 55 to 74 years old with a greater than 30 pack year smoking history, either currently smoking or with smoking cessation having occurred within the last 15 years. This recommendation has been expanded by the United States Preventative Services Tax Force in 2021 to where they now recommend low-dose CT for patients aged 50 to 80 with a 20 pack year smoking history and either a current smoker having quit within the past 15 years. So to review, the current recommendation is screening low-dose CT, age 50 to 80, 20-pack year smoking history or more, and current smoker or have quit within the past 15 years. Okay, so we can now transition to treatment. We can really focus on stage 4 disease here with a couple quick notes on surgery and radiation therapy at the end. 
Patients with stage 4 disease are considered to be incurable, with the goal of treatment primarily palliative. Systemic therapy really falls in several major buckets for non-small cell lung cancer, including conventional cytotoxic chemotherapy that's aimed at targeting rapidly dividing cells. Example, examples of these are carboplatin and pemetrexid. It's what we think of when we think of chemotherapy kind of historically. Bucket number two would be immunotherapy, specifically immune checkpoint inhibitors like pembrolizumab and nivolumab, which bind T-cell antigens like PD-L1 or PD-1 and prevent them from deactivating. Then bucket number three would be targeted therapy, like EGFR inhibitors like osimertinib or ALK inhibitors like electinib that inhibit specific tyrosine kinases that are thought to be driver mutations in select patients with these cancers. It is important to have the guardant liquid biopsy or tissue biopsy results back prior to initiating treatment, if possible, as patients treated with immunotherapy like pembrolizumab followed by targeted therapy have a higher risk of pneumonitis. So with that in mind, the major variables guiding what the patients get for treatment are PDL1 percent expression and whether or not they have a targetable driver mutation. So patients with targetable driver mutations like EGFR and ALK receive targeted therapy. Patients where the PDL1 percent expression by immunohistochemistry is greater than 50 percent can receive either pembrolizumab monotherapy but if there's a high burden of disease, sometimes chemo plus pembrolizumab is used for the best chance of response. And then patients with PDL1 percent expression between 1 and 49% usually receive a combination of platinum doublet chemotherapy with an immune checkpoint inhibitor like pembrolizumab. A couple quick additional notes about these treatment recommendations. Although it is not an optimal biomarker, PDL1 expression by immunohistochemistry is currently the best available one to assess whether patients are candidates for PD1 or PDL1 inhibitors. PDL1 expression is a continuously variable and dynamic. Thus, a cutoff value for a positive result is artificial. So patients with PDL1 expression levels just below and just above 50% will probably have similar responses. It's a bit of a gray area. In addition, the exact doublet chemotherapy regimens, while outside the scope of this discussion, do depend on the histology of the cancer. So squamous cell and adenocarcinomas receive different chemotherapy backbones. We can also take this opportunity to quickly touch on immune checkpoint inhibitor toxicity, as they bring with them a unique set of challenges quite different than conventional chemotherapy toxicities. Despite important clinical benefits, immune checkpoint inhibitors like pembrolizumab and nivolumab are associated with a unique spectrum of side effects known as immune-related adverse events. These can include dermatologic, gastrointestinal, hepatic, endocrine, and other less common inflammatory events. Immune-related adverse events are believed to arise from a general immunologic enhancement brought on by the immune checkpoint inhibitor. And there are several ways to approach managing these toxicities. Holding the immunotherapy or treating with temporary immunosuppression with glucocorticoids, TNF-alpha inhibitors, mycophenolate mofetil, or other agents can be an effective treatment. ASCO and the NCCN have pretty uh, complex um, like scoring and management recommendations for these that we won't really get into here. Although rare, these can be even fatal. We can also briefly talk about surgery and radiation therapy. 
In general, surgery provides the best chance for cure in patients with stage 1 or 2 disease. Thoracic surgical onc consultation should be a part of the evaluation of any patient being considered for curative local therapy. And then in regard to radiation therapy, it has a potential role in all stages of non-small cell lung cancer as either definitive or palliative therapy. So input from a radiation oncologist who regularly performs lung cancer treatment should be part of the multidisciplinary evaluation for all patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Radiation therapy has a role in multiple levels, including one, as definitive therapy for locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer, generally combined with chemo, two, definitive therapy for early stage non-small cell lung cancer in patients with contraindications for surgery, three, as neoadjuvant or adjuvant therapy, either pre uh, performed pre or post-operatively, respectively, for selected patients treated with surgery, four, therapy for limited recurrences and metastases, and or five, palliative therapy for patients with incurable non-small cell lung cancer. Okay, so we can take one final look back at the clinical vignette. So given the patient's positive rib biopsy, she was uh, stage S stage four with the legometastatic disease. She had an excellent response to osimertinib, the EGFR inhibitor, and there was no FDG avidity subsequently in the rib. She proceeded to left upper lobe lobectomy. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, just to review at the end, kind of the learning objectives of the podcast. One would be the staging for newly diagnosed non-small cell lung cancer. Two would be a review of ECOG performance status definitions as those do come up a lot. Three would be the uh, recommendations for lung cancer screening. And then four, the treatment of stage four non-small cell lung cancer. Thanks to Dr. Chris Devella in helping with the transcript of this educational podcast. And uh, several resources were used in making this, including the NCCN guidelines for non-small cell lung cancer, the, units, the United States Preventative Services Text for screening guidelines, and the HEMONC subspecialty consult manual from Washington University. Okay, everybody have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening.